you have elementary age kids, we would love to be a part of what we have going on in our Vine Kids time. They can go out these side doors or around the back. Likewise, if you have middle school age kiddos, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th in that window, we've got a great opportunity out here in our kind of middle area of our new back space that we'd love for them to be part of as well. Well, welcome to Vine Community Church. As I mentioned during our announcement time, if you are here with us for the very first time, we are very glad you're here. We're blessed that you are here. We're thankful. Uh, we just want you to have uh, an experience with the risen Lord. That's our deepest desire of all things, but we are, we're really glad you're here. You're catching us on the tail end of a little small series that we've put together at a really important time in the life of our church. So every year about this time as we kind of, kind of the, the waning of the, the, the year 2019 and 2020, every time, every time this year kind of rolls around or this time of year rolls around, we take a few minutes and we just pause and we start dreaming about the next year and what we want to do and what that looks like and who we are as a church and begin to ask ourselves questions like, God, are we the church that you are calling us to become? And begin to evaluate our kind of goals and our desires and all those kind of things. And we outline some stuff that we really want to focus on in 2020 or whatever that year is. And we've kind of landed in that space. And it's also an important time of the year for us because just a few days ago, we celebrate kind of our eighth birthday as a little community. And it's been, you know, an unbelievably kind of amazing journey of just watching God's faithfulness. And so thinking about this time of year is always a really important time for us. And so we took a, a break from our first Peter study, and we looked at this little series we put together called Roots. And we begin to explore things that we want to focus on in 2020 as a part of our church, as a unified body of Christ, and what would it look like, right? And so we began to talk about developing things like roots that are ground into spiritual growth, like really connected with the Lord, that, that I'm not content with where I am in my relationship with Jesus. Like, I want to know him more. I want to grow deeper. I want to have a better understanding of the word of God. I want our church to not become complacent with where we are spiritually, but to desire maturity and depth. And so we use Jeremiah 17 as a guide to begin to walk us through these roots, like spiritual growth. And then last week, Brandon talked about unity in the body of Christ and the idea that if we were all connected with a unified kingdom mindset and what that looks like and how that plays, that, plays out, deep connected roots to the body of Christ. And this week we're going to be talking about the sort of intentionality of, of developing and living in relationships that truly matter, right? What if we focus this next year on, on healthy and amazing families or on healthy and vibrant marriages or on deep, true, real friendships or on leaving legacies that matter with people or investing in those around us that God has brought into, a, into our lives? And, and we developed roots into relationships that give life. Because these are the things that we see that matter to the Lord, and so we want them to matter to us. And so in 2020, these are the directions we're going to be pushing ourselves. Opportunities to grow spiritually for you, for your family, healthy marriages. For us as a church to dive deeper into God's word and trust him even more. For us to develop a deeper unity as a body of Christ, right? Not just mere attenders that show up on a Sunday morning, kind of talk about football, have a donut, listen to Treb say this or Brandon say that or whatever, but really deeply connected, right? Like that share in each other's great things and mourn over each other's losses. Like deeply connected to the body of Christ. And then really kind of hung on this idea of having real relationships. Because I've got a lot of acquaintance relationships in my life. But I have very few true, deep, real, meaningful relationships. I'm not content after 22 years of marriage of where we are. I want to be at a, a place where we're growing even more, where my, my kids, I'm leaving legacies in them as they begin to have a daughter that's about to turn 18 and head off to college, right? I'm the legacy I'm leaving with her. 
And I want us as a church to think about how we're involved in discipling or mental relationships. Like, who are we pouring into? Who in our life is pouring into us? And the time that we spend is so valuable because it's so fleeting. And so we're going to be turning our focus to those things this year. And so we want you to understand that and think that through with us. And we've used Jeremiah 17 as a guide, uh, sort of a, a picture of what this looks like. Because Jeremiah 17 is all about putting our trust and confidence in the Lord. And I won't go back into it, but a few weeks ago we kind of used it as our text and we preached through it. And we talked about the idea that if, if we're going to put our hope and c- trust and confidence in the Lord, it's like developing deep roots that run into living water. That when the days of the heat and drought come, we don't wither up and die because we have roots that are deeply connected to the Lord. Why? Because we trust and have confidence in Him. And if we don't have trust and confidence in our Lord, that when the heat and the drought and the struggles come, we wither and die. Which describes a lot of our lives. That when difficult things come, when we don't know what tomorrow brings, we're standing in the face of adversity, right? Our lives begin to be marked by fear and anxiety and worry. Because our roots aren't deeply connected to trusting in a God who says he will provide and protect at every moment and every breath. And what we learn from Jeremiah is that when we connect with the Lord, it doesn't mean that the heat and the drought won't come. Those things are guaranteed. Life is hard. But when it does come, Jeremiah says that when we're connected and trust and have confidence in the Lord, we will have green leaves and we will bear fruit. Then in a time where we should be shriveled up and dying, God will give purpose and meaning to life, that we will have these green leaves and bear fruit. We talked about this idea of having deep roots that were connected to the Lord. So this morning we're going to take that with our sort of a, as an umbrella guide. I'm putting my trust and my confidence in the Lord, developing roots in Him, deep spiritual growth, unity in the body of Christ. And we're going to talk about something that mattered deeply to our Lord. What? People. People mattered deeply to Jesus. And we're going to look at a very familiar text this morning. And we're going to explore why those things and those people matter to Jesus and why they should matter to us. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 14 this morning. We're going to be in a really familiar text, I hope, and we're going to take a little different angle at it as we talk about sort of this idea that Jesus had this deep love for people, and he created space for them, and he celebrated moments with them. So as you turn there, Matthew chapter 14, uh, we'll pray in just a second. But I forgot one really important announcement earlier, and that is Tommy and Shay Davidson had their baby yesterday. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. Yep. They're not here. They didn't, but we can clap for them anyway. Um, uh, Raylan is their baby, and there is a meal train set up on Realm. So uh, we, we talked a couple weeks ago, Carson and Katie had their baby, but their meal train is almost full. But Shay and Tommy, their meal train, Logan started last night. So if you've got uh, some opportunity, some time, this is a great way to love people. A little segue in there. Sign up for their meal train. Uh, it's pretty fun. So uh, we've got a lot of babies. That's really, really exciting. So anyway. All right, Matthew chapter 14. Backing it up, let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today. I thank you that your word is true, that it is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. You tell us that it divides joints and marrow, soul and spirit, that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our own heart. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that we would take our encounter with your word seriously. This is not some guidebook for our life. It's not some, you know, supportive document. It is your very breath. You tell us it's the Theopunestos, the very breath of God. And so, God, we believe that your word breathed out is the sole authority for our life. It is truth. It is unwavering and is unmovable. 
And so, God, when we have an encounter with your word, we have an encounter with you. And so this morning, we are excited to open your word and meet who you are. Take a moment in your own heart, and just as you sit here this morning, just ask the Lord to teach you. doesn't need to be groundbreaking or life-altering, just that he would teach your heart this morning. take a moment and pray for somebody else. Pray for someone beside you, in front of you, or behind you. Maybe you don't even know their name. We do this every week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. As I say, everything that happens on a Sunday morning around here is not about you. Pray that God would move in somebody else's life. Care enough about the people around you to pray for them. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. You are glorious, you are amazing, you are unmovable. And so, God, we anchor our hearts and our lives to your steadfast love. And we ask that you would teach our hearts this morning as we talk about developing roots that are connected to relationships that give life. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. So very famous uh, kind of story we're looking at. It's actually a miracle more than a story. Um, it's Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? We've all heard it. We're going to look at it from a little different angle, but it's, it's really one of my favorite miracles or massive miracles in Scripture because not of what happens with Jesus actually taking loaves and fish and feeding people, what's happening under the surface. And what's happening under the surface is, is remarkable. So I'm going to give you a little background to where we are, right? Jesus is sort of in the thriving points of his ministry, um, his popularity, if you will, is through the roof with the people. They, they have heard all these things that he is doing, that he is healing the sick and he's casting out demons and he's doing miraculous things and he's speaking against the Pharisees and he has authority in his voice. And so anytime Jesus went anywhere, right, people showed up in droves, by the hundreds, by the thousands. They just wanted to see him. And we're going to come across a time where Jesus is actually down by the Sea of Galilee and he receives news that his relative, John the Baptist, right? We know they're relatives because Mary, Jesus' mother, and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, were related. Now, we don't know how. It's probably somewhat distant. But Jesus and John the Baptist are somehow related as cousins in some form of that kind of tangled web. But they're related. He receives news that his John the Baptist, his relative, the one that had baptized him in the Jordan River, has not only been imprisoned, which he already knew, but has been killed, has been beheaded at the request of Herod Antipas. Now, if you remember the story, it's really weird, right? Because what happened was John the Baptist had spoken publicly out against the marriage of Herod Antipas and his wife Herodias. And that made them furious, and so they imprisoned him. But he spoke out against it because he believed their marriage was illegal. Because here's what happened. Herodias was married to Herod Philip, who is Herod Antipas' brother, like blood brother, like you are my brother. Same mom, same dad, okay? They're brothers. Herodias, Herod Philip, had Herod Antipas over to their house, kind of like you're going to do for Thanksgiving. While he was over there hanging out, he convinced his brother's wife to leave him and marry him, right? It's a pretty bold move, right? So when you go over to Thanksgiving this week, Think about that, right? What if I convinced my brother's wife, he's a loser, 
get with the winner, right? Drop the zero, get with the hero kind of deal. That's what happens. He goes into their house, says, you shouldn't be with him, you should be with me. And she says, okay. She's like, that sounds good. Well, all of a sudden, they become married, and John the Baptist says, no, 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 you can't do that. Mosaic law actually forbids it. You cannot be married to your living brother's wife. He has to die first, and then you can marry him. That was the law. But they didn't care. They were like, we're going to do it. Because they're not paying attention to Mosaic law. Well, John the Baptist starts proclaiming that their marriage is illegal. Well, this infuriates Herodias, makes her furious. So she demands that John the Baptist be arrested and killed. Well, they arrest him, but they can't kill him because the people love John the Baptist. He's been out there in the wilderness eating locusts and baptizing and proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. And the Romans were ruling over, right, the Jewish people. And they couldn't, they didn't have the, the right or authority to kill John the Baptist at the time because they thought the people would revolt. So to make things even weirder, Herod Antipas is having this feast. And he's got all these people at a table with him and they're in this big banquet hall. And he invites his wife, Herodias' daughter, which would have been his niece because came from Herod Philip, to come and dance for them all, right? So he's at this big thing and he invites his niece to come and dance in this hall of men. Super weird. She does, and he is just super pleased. And he's like, I'm just so happy that you danced so great. I'll give you anything you want. And she's like, okay. And then she goes to figure out what she wants. She asks her mom. She goes, mom, what do, what do I want? Stepdad or uncle or whatever's happening here. I said I could have whatever I want. She goes, I'll tell you what you want. You go back in there and you tell him you want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Um, okay. Was thinking more like an iPod, but that's fine. I'm sure they had those then. Goes back in. Uncle Dad. Um, it's going to sound a little weird. But if you don't mind taking John the Baptist who's in prison and just bringing his head up here. Well, Matthew tells us that, of course, Herod Antipas is just distressed because he's like, I don't know what to do. I don't really want to kill him because I don't want the people to revolt. But I made a promise to these people. And so I'll keep my promise. And so sure enough, he has John the Baptist literally beheaded. Boom. Brings his head up on a silver platter, puts it out in front of them all, and he allows John the Baptist's disciples to come and take the body a few days later. Well, in Matthew 14, we're picking up right as Jesus hears the news that his relative friend, the one that baptized him, John the Baptist, had been murdered in prison, had literally been beheaded at the hands of the Roman leaders, right? That's some really crummy news. And he hears that in John chapter 14. So let's turn that 14, and we'll start in verse 13 and go down through 21. So when Jesus had heard what had happened, right, when he had heard what happened to John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already going to be late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the bread. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And they ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketful of broken pieces that were all left over. And the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men, 
besides women and children. Very familiar parable, right? Because the things that we know about the parable, if I ask you what you remember about it, you'll say, well, Jesus fed 5,000. He only had five loaves of bread and two fish. Remember the story well. All the people were there, and they didn't want to have to feed them all on their own, and they wanted to send them back, but Jesus does this incredible thing. And that's true. That is a miracle, and it is amazing, and there is no denying it, right? It's awesome. But the reason I love this miracle is for actually what's happening underneath this miracle. The part that we don't always kind of look at and see, the part that we don't talk about. We talk about the miraculous moment and Jesus feeding them and all these kind of things that must have happened to feed 5,000, really probably 7,500 or 10,000 people. When you add the women and children in, you have this really amazing, significant thing. But if you understand the history that I just explained to you, there's something really significant about what happened. Because what we learned very quickly is that Jesus made people his priority. Because here's the incredible thing, right? Jesus finds out the news. The disciples of John the Baptist probably came and told the disciples of Jesus that John had been killed. And not only had he been killed, he had been brutally murdered because of some promise Herod Antipas had made to his dancing niece. Like What a waste, right? And he had been brutally beheaded. And Jesus hears the news, and he says that when he heard the news, he withdrew to a solitary place. In other words, his heart was grieved, deeply grieved. And in those days, Jesus couldn't get away from people very often. And so he did the only thing that he probably knew to do to get away from people, which was get out on the water. It's the only place that crowds of people couldn't follow. And so he gets in a boat, and he goes out of the lake with just the disciples, contemplating all that had just unfolded, the hurt and the grief that Jesus is very much not excluded from as human and fully God. He has the full range of emotions that you and I have. And you can imagine how you might feel if you heard the news that your friend relative had been brutally murdered, how you process that and what you think about it. And you draw away or you want to draw away with some of your friends or just on your own or you go to a solitary place where all the people aren't because they don't know. They don't know what you're walking through. They don't know what that's like. They don't know what you're experiencing. And so Jesus withdraws to a solitary place and kind of shoots away from the crowd. Well, the crowds that all gather there to see Jesus, because they just want to, they want to see him. They want to bring their sick. They want to they just need him. They see that he's leaving. And they think, well, he's going to sail across the other side of the lake, so we're going to meet him over there. And sure enough, 5,000, 7,000, whatever, how many people just in a mass of humanity, walk around the lake. And it says that when Jesus got to the other side, they were already there waiting on him. Now, Sea of Galilee is not massive. It's not huge. It's not um, unbelievable that they would be able to walk over there by the time Jesus got there. They walked to the other side of the lake, and when Jesus arrived, he saw the large crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. This is what's amazing to me. It's a part of the miracle that we don't really pay a lot of attention to. Because we jump over that to get with the Jesus is feeding 5,000. But here's what really happens is that Jesus makes people his priority. As he gets off this boat, he looks out and he sees this incredible crowd of people. I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands. I mean, the idea here is in this room today, we probably have 180 people. Imagine 5,000 men. And their women and children all gathered with them, maybe 7,500, 10,000 people. Imagine the size of that crowd. And Jesus, having heard this news, when he lands, he sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. 
Now, these are not people that are coming to tell Jesus he's amazing, and they love him, and they want to hug him. These are people that are bringing their sick people to him, saying, fix our broken lives. They are super needy. They want Jesus to do stuff for them. So it's not like they're there to comfort him and say, hey, we heard about your cousin, and we're so sorry. Like, we just want to tell you that we're with you, we love you, we support you. That's not why these people are there. These people are there because they wanted something done for them. They were incredibly needy. And they brought their sick, and they brought their broken, and they brought their hurting, and they said, fix this. We have no inkling here that they had any compassion on Jesus at all, just more fix our lives. So when Jesus lands, he's not greeted by a crowd of people that are saying, you're the best. He's greeted by a crowd of people that says, touch my sister, she's hurt. Touch my dad, he's blind. Touch our cousin, he has leprosy. They believe that if Jesus would just touch them. And Jesus, it says, had compassion on them. I think about myself in that situation. I think about how annoyed I would be with people. Like, people annoy me regularly, just normally. Like, I can imagine, right? Like, it just happens, right? We're just always prone to think about ourselves. And so, but when you're going through that kind of thing, and you just want some space, but he has compassion on them. And it's no surprise that Jesus doesn't think about himself first. I mean, that would be no surprise, but it's amazing. And so he puts all of his sort of human hurt aside, and it says that he had compassion on them and he healed their sick all day long. He sat there with person after person after person after person after person, compassionately healing their sick. Not healing their sick like with uh, that sort of attitude that says, hurry up, let's go, who's next, who's next, who's next? But with compassion. And you know what compassion really is? is it's, it's this idea of loving kindness. It's this part of your heart that doesn't only feel for someone else, but connects with them. And so Jesus, with this incredible loving kindness, connects with the heart of people, and he heals their brokenness. In a time where not one of us would blame him for saying, I just need a day. Just one day. Come back tomorrow. I've got to get right. I just need to get away for a little. None of us would blame Jesus for doing that. But he doesn't. He makes people his priority. Because people matter to the Lord. The second thing that we see that's piled on there is that Jesus creates this incredible time and space for them, right? So the disciples in this story are awesome. Because they're thinking about, well, themselves. And this is what it says. It says, listen, as evening approached, and Jesus has been out there all day healing these people. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, right? We're out here by the lake. Towns are pretty far away. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away, and they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Because they understood that as their responsibility was, if these people stayed any longer, they were going to have to provide for some of their needs. Luke tells a story a little, a little not differently, but he adds some some pieces in there that says, listen, it's going to cost us a fortune to feed all these people. Like all these wages, if they stick around, we're going to have to give them dinner because they're here for you. So the disciples are sort of hung on this thing. They're going, look, it's getting late. We've been here all day. This line never ends of people that just want, to, just want something from Jesus. Like now's the perfect time to send them home. Because if you don't, we've got to feed them. And then we see in Luke that he makes a sort of, one of the disciples makes a sort of tongue-in-cheek comment about, listen, we don't, there's not enough money. 
here to feed all these people. Like this is months of wages. But Jesus' response to them is amazing to me. Right? He sort of ignores their request to send them away, and he says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Which is pretty incredible, right? Like, either Jesus is being super sarcastic, or he's teaching them something amazing. Because the disciples know they have nothing, and there's 7,000 plus people that are here. And Jesus says, don't send them away. And an opportunity where Jesus could actually say, yep, okay, it's good, it's been a long day, it's been awesome, send them away. He says, no, don't, you feed them. Because he knew that feeding these people was going to take intentional creating time and space, not just from him, but from the disciples. They were going to have to create time and space for them. They were going to have to invest in them. And they were going to have to create a way for them to eat, and it was super inconvenient. Totally inconvenient. Because it not only would cost them a bunch of money, but it would cost them a bunch of time, and it would never work out. And Jesus says, that's okay, you're going to do it anyway. Because the people mattered to Jesus, and he wanted them to matter to the disciples. His point was not that it's going to be hard to feed him. His point was what matters to me should matter to you. He had compassion on them. He healed their sick. They said, send them away. And Jesus says, no, take care of them. And they go, we've only got two two fishies, right, and some bread. It's like, that's plenty. And he intentionally created time and space for them. This is hard, loving people this way, having compassion on them and creating time and space for them. Like, we don't have time and space in our lives, right? We talked about this in our study of First Peter a little bit ago. There's no margin. There's not a lot of room. If I were to tell you to create time, right, finding more nights during the week to have people over or, or whatever, develop really meaningful relationships, most of you would look at me like, like go win. Like win. Things that matter to us, we have to create time and space for. And the things that matter to the Lord should matter to us, and therefore we should create time and space for them. I talked to a guy a few years ago that was telling me that during the Christmas season, he regularly works between 95 and 110 or 115 hours a week because he wants to provide a great Christmas for his family. Neat guy, I love him. And as we were talking, we were talking about what really matters, that we can provide that kind of Christmas or that his kids just want daddy home. We have to create time and space for the things that matter not only to us, but to the Lord. And it's not always convenient. And so the disciples had to decide if they were going to let the things that matter to the Lord matter to them. And they didn't see it. Because it seemed impossible. We just can't. The same way that you're thinking about your life right now, and I said, you have to reinvest in your marriage. You have to make it work. You have to create time and space for it. And you look and you go, we can barely breathe as it is. We say, listen, if you want healthy relationships as a family, a family unit with your children, your spouse, all these kind of things, you have to create time and space for those things that matter. Time around the table or time together or opening up the word together. How are we going to do that? Schedules don't line up. I don't know, but I will tell you if it matters to you, you will find a way. How do we create deep, meaningful friendships? How long has it been since you've called that one person that's so deeply on your heart that you 
long for, love, care about, and just told them you wanted to spend time with them. We create time and space for the things that matter. It's not easy, but we're called to do it. And so Jesus says, you feed them. And it seemed impossible. And so Jesus said, let me show you. So they take the two loaves of, uh, the five loaves of bread and the two fish. Jesus blesses it, breaks it, feeds everybody, right? That's the miracle. Everybody gets it. They're all full. In fact, they're all so full, there's baskets left over, 12 of them, right? No surprise. Probably each disciple, all 12 of them are left holding a basket. Numbers matter in Scripture. Significant number here, 12 disciples, 12 baskets, all probably looking down going, whoa, that's pretty awesome. Now, we'll read a little bit into this text, but <clears throat> I just wonder what was running through their minds, right? Surely that had to be like one of the coolest things they'd ever seen. They'd seen some pretty awesome stuff. They've seen Jesus do some really cool things. In fact, they'd just seen Jesus spend an entire day healing people. And now they saw something they none of them had ever seen before, that he had taken this, just this little gathering of bread. Mark says barley loaves, which is poor people's bread, and some fish, and he fed 7,500 plus people. And they're, I'm guessing, right, I'm guessing that they're looking around going, that's incredible. I mean, it's amazing what we just saw today. What we saw Jesus do and what we saw happen in the lives of these people. I mean, if you had your daughter healed from her disease by Jesus, that is a celebratory moment. All those people gathered, fed, those disciples going, this is incredible. I guarantee you it's one of those things they'll never forget. It's a, it's a moment, it's a beautiful moment to celebrate. I think those moments are marked by Jesus a lot. Those moments that are beautiful, <clears throat> that we're called to celebrate, that we're called to sit and savor in, and we're not called to look to what's next. <clears throat> Jesus was never in a hurry, right? Never had to be somewhere else. Never was too busy for anyone. Always seemed to just sort of poke around and walk around the countryside. Even when he had to be somewhere, he always stopped to talk to somebody. And in these incredible moments where he's healing and encountering and, and uh, having these life-changing moments with people, we celebrate him in Scripture. I mean, how many times has this miracle moment been taught, preached, and told? Thousands upon thousands upon millions upon millions over the centuries. It's a celebratory moment. It's a moment to be savored. Part of having meaningful, real relationships means that we have to stop in the middle of those and celebrate the beautiful moments. Because this life we live in, it's a whisper. It's a whisper. And we're driven by results as a culture, and we're driven by what's next as a culture. And so we're inclined to want to move from one thing to another, to another, to another. And when we do, we miss the beautiful moments. But I believe that Jesus calls us to put markers in celebrating it. To look down and at the basket of fish and bread that we're holding and say, what did I just see? And I'm not just talking about incredible moments with the Lord. I'm talking about incredible moments with people. Like it's a whisper of time. Those of you that had kids know it. It goes by fast, quickly. Somehow you blink and you're married 22 years, got kids that are headed to college. Or somehow you wake up and been six years in the same place or same thing and if you're not careful all of those incredible moments can be celebrated but they just turn into distant memories 
What I truly believe we're called to, not only as a church, but as a people that follow the Lord, is that we're called to make sure the things that matter to God matter to us. And people matter to the Lord. He created time and space for them always. And he allowed the people around them to celebrate incredible, life-changing moments. And we see people in Scripture all the time running and dancing and flipping out when Jesus changes their life. We see them throwing all their old ways away. We see them being restored and renewed. We see incredible, celebratory, beautiful moments. And if I were to ask you this year, 2019, how many of those beautiful moments in your life did you celebrate? I'm not talking about throwing a party. I'm just talking about just sitting down and saying, I don't care where I have to be next because I don't want to miss this moment. And maybe that moment is coffee with your wife, right? Top golf with your kid. Lunch with a coworker who you know's marriage is broken. Or the desire to have a young man or a young woman sit with you and teach them about the God that changed your life. Name your moment. But as a church, one of the things we want to be committed to is developing roots that have relationships that leave legacy, that matter, that are deeply connected to things that matter to the Lord. Far too many of our marriages and culture are falling apart. Far too many of our families are broken. I've coached youth sports my entire life. Same football team I've had up until Cooper started playing in middle school. Of our team, all our kids, we only had four families that were still married. Four out of 25 kids. We're watching things at a rate fall apart around us. And I believe that as a church, we are called to think differently about relationships and about people and start investing in things that matter to the Lord. And people matter to the Lord. Developing roots that are so deeply connected to people that when our marriages begin to struggle, we have people around us that love us and know us. They want to step in and say, we love you, we care about you. That when our family's on the brink or when I lose a job or whatever these things are, the people, this unity of the body of Christ we talked about last week, they surround us because we've developed roots with relationships with people. And they walk with us. And then when God does the thing that God is going to do, which is this incredible thing, we celebrate it together. Because God redeems and God restores and God reunites and God unifies. And we celebrate those incredible moments together. And you know what it causes us to do? It causes us to grow spiritually. And as we think about 2020, that's a church we want to become. Deep spiritual roots. Deeply connected and rooted in the body of Christ. And deeply connected and rooted in relationships that matter. No more letting the enemy develop footholds in our friendships and in our families and our marriages breaking those and rooting them around, but deciding and declaring that things are going to be different because I'm going to invest and create time and space. I'm going to make time and space in my life for the things that matter, and I'm going to cut out the garbage that is eating my soul away. I'm going to cut it out. And these aren't New Year's resolutions. These are things we should be doing all the time, but we're where we want to put our focus and our energy. So not on developing programs for these things, but opportunities for you to walk in them. So you'll be seeing those things unfold over the next year. But this is a church that we want to become. So as we think about that, the way that we do that is we begin to just kind of go, God, how does this play out for you? Right? Show us where you're moving and we can follow you. Whether that means discipling relationships or, or 
classes with marriage kind of renewals or whatever it is, like we are in a thousand percent reunion. This is your church. It's not mine. Jesus is the head. And therefore we will follow him. Part of this process for us is really letting go of all the things that we hold on to so dearly and saying, God, they are fully and truly yours. And each year the way that we do that is we just, as we close our time in worship, we take our pledge cards, or really, which is just more of a, of a promise to the Lord, and just say, God, this is your stuff anyway. My life and my resources, they just belong to you. I get to be a person that gives them away. It's the greatest joy of my life. And I just want to commit, Lord, that we're in with this community of believers. And listen, if this is not your church, or you're here for a first time or whatever, this really necessarily doesn't mean you. We don't want, we're not looking for you to turn in pledge cards or anything like that. We don't want your money. We really just want you to give your heart to the Lord. And for those of us that are part of this community or considered part of our family or we're regular attenders, like it's a part of our story. And we want your buy-in because it matters because this thing is really about you. It's about me. And it's about how we love well together. And so as we close our time in worship this morning, what we're going to do is we're just going to, as you feel led, we're going to ask you to come and offer your kind of pledge card to the Lord. But more so if you just have a prayer request, you just want to write on the envelope, or just something you want to give to the Lord in 2020, or even right now, just say, God, I want to drop this. I want to reinvest in my marriage. I want to grow spiritual. I want to get deeper into relationship with people, whatever that is. Write them down, drop them in these baskets, and we will pray for you. It doesn't have to be a pledge card today if this isn't your community. Just, God, I'm just committed to wanting to do this, and we will pray for you and walk alongside you. And more, this is an opportunity for us as Don and our worship team closes in worship just to lay down our lives because our deepest desire is to place deep spiritual roots where we grow deeper in relationship with the Lord, deeper in our unity as a body of Christ, and deeper in relationships that truly matter because the things that matter to the Lord should matter to us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning. We thank you for the unique opportunity to Open your word, think about a bigger picture and what you're doing, while at the same time kind of looking at it from a micro level. I'm not trying to change all of culture. I just want to be changed by you personally. And if each one of us wants to have families that are changed by the Lord, or people that are changed by the Lord, or hearts that are changed by the Lord, we will be used by you to change culture. And so, Lord, all we desire is to surrender our lives to you, those points that are hard and difficult to let go of and just release them to you. Lord, in a time where we would have given you all the grace in the world to be selfish, you are totally selfless because you are perfect. And you had compassion on people that were hard to have compassion on. And you loved them and you healed their brokenness and you cared for them with this incredible loving kindness. And you look at those that walked alongside you and you said, I want the people that matter to me to matter to you. So you feed them. You take care of them. Knowing full well they couldn't do it without you. That they had to rely on you. And of course you were the one. You took the loaves of bread and you broke them and you spread them. And you created the moment to celebrate. Lord, we can't love people well. And most of us have a hard time walking well. We can't love people well. But you can give us strength and you can empower our hearts and you can open them and you can restore broken marriages and you can heal broken families and you can reunite the lost, the estranged mother or father, God. You can reunite broken friendships. 
You can drive our hearts to confession and forgiveness. You can do all of those things. You can. And so we ask you to move in us in those areas. And then as we move past those things, to find those moments to celebrate. Those moments where we're left holding a basket of fish or bread and just going, what did I just see? Man, my kid was only going to have a fourth birthday once. I'm only going to get this one night with my spouse. I'll never have another November 24th ever again. This is it. How do I want to celebrate it? Celebrate those moments and enjoy them and find glory for you in them. And so, Lord, as we think about who we want to be as a church, we also roll those things into our identity. We want to be a church that's pushed to grow spiritually and deeply united together for kingdom purpose, that lives with intention with relationships, life groups that matter and know each other, friendships that are deeply unified in Christ, celebrating each other's victories and mourning with each other as we as we go through loss, existing to know and be known, discipling and mentoring and loving and laughing all along the way. So Lord, we surrender all of these things to you. As we close our time in worship, Lord, this is really more than just about pledge cards. The pledge cards is really a way for us to think about 2020, not about money. So let us surrender those things that are dear to us to you believing that you are a God who will abundantly supply. Loving the community we're a part of and wanting to see you do amazing things. So as Don, our worship team, lead us in worship and we stand together, as we feel led, just come down and place your card or your prayer request in one of these baskets up here on the steps and we'll celebrate our time and then remain standing as we close our time in worship this morning. But let's go before the Lord.